0: Welcome to the Forte Podcast. In this episode, we flip the table and interview Craig. We'll find out what motivates him to be the man he is today, which has helped him excel in his career spanning across multiple countries whilst working with elite professionals in the amateur and professional football ranks. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy. As I mentioned today is a day that you get to find out a little bit more about our man Craig von Willich. Um Craig is a very, very good friend of myself and Dwight's. So we've known each other for pff, over a decade now, I think it is, eh, Craig. Um, played a lot of social football together, spent a lot of nights squeaking some tacky um, and traveling the world in Italy and in the USA together. So yeah, we've been through it all, haven't we, Craig?
1: Yeah, it's uh many really good experiences and good moments. Um and obviously a lot of deep friendships are, are made out on the sports field. So uh, awesome that I have the two of you in my life and excited again about this this project that we get to get to spend some time diving into together. I
0: couldn't agree more. So Craig, obviously I know you very well. Um I would know your background particularly well, but I'd like our listeners to kind of get to know you a bit better and get to know what makes you the the man that you are today is. so tell us a little bit more about why you got involved in sport from a hobby side of things and inevitably from a professional perspective
1: yeah so i was just totally obsessed with sport from a young age um whether that was cricket soccer rugby tennis um even dabbled in badminton a little bit but uh just totally obsessed with with sports from a young age it was it was the gift that i wanted for christmas or birthday something related to sports equipment um and, and then when I got into high school, even though I was pretty good academically, um, you know, it was, it was all about sport for me. And I think I got to a, an age of around 15 or 16 where I realized that I want to spend the rest of my life involved in sport. Uh, and so that's where I kind of pursued it a little bit more. I took a little bit of notice of the coaches that I worked with when I was playing cricket and soccer and rugby at that stage. Um, and, and realized that some of the most influential people in my life were the coaches that I had had. So, even at, at primary school, I had a, a cricket coach that inspired me. And if I look back at the people that influenced me the most, it, it was it was those coaches. And and I would love to have been one of those people for 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 young athletes um, in the future. Uh, and so that's kind of where it started. Um, and then just delved as deeply as I could into it. Um, started getting involved in in coaching toward the end part of high school. Um, and, and then I think looking back at it now, the fact that I had some leadership opportunities, being a captain of the cricket teams, the rugby teams, um, and some of the soccer teams that I played for uh, definitely led to me just getting experience about leading others. Um, and I think all of that kind of came to together when I, when I went into college um, to study coaching science um, and sports performance. Um, and I think from there, Jana, you know, the rest is history in terms of um, spending the greatest part of my young adult life involved very intensely with, with sports
0: at, at every level. So you mentioned obviously quite a few things there which are quite unique to an individual, especially someone that comes through your background. I think you're, I know you as a very, what's the right, the right word to use here, very strongly skilled footballer um to be honest the the tennis and badminton side surprises me a little bit i I never knew that side to you i'm trying to picture it a little bit in my head and i can't really can't really make it out but maybe one day i'll check it out um so i then obviously your your leadership perspective and then going into coaching so i guess from from my perspective uh at some point in your life was the ambitions of trying to pursue sport in a playing capacity as a professional um, and at which point did you realize that perhaps it wasn't the right journey to go down
1: yeah cricket was my number one sport it was the sport that I invested the most time and effort into as a young kid whether it was the jaunty roads cricket sets that uh, I had in my back garden before it started hurting people uh, and uh, you know getting my dad to bowl to me in the driveway or just spending hours and hours uh, at friends houses playing cricket so that was my first passion um, and it was the sport that I wanted to pursue professionally um, but I think at the age of 15 or 16 just realizing how many high quality players there were around me um, and understanding that the opportunity for that to happen was, was probably not gonna come to fruition so so I think that was the moment that it, that it kind of switched um, but it never stopped me from trying I I gave it my all in in rugby until my year in high school. Uh, Same with with soccer. I I pursued all the way through, and I still do now in some capacity. And and cricket, I um, continued for another two years after high school um, playing club cricket. Um, So I think I've always been involved. I always wanted to excel, and I always wanted to make sure that that sports that I was passionate about was, was part of my life. But I think around the age of 15 or 16, I realized that it wasn't going to be something that uh, I did for the rest of my life um, at a high level. Um, Even though I had incredible opportunities, you know, getting to, to bowl to Jacques Alice and, and Herschel Gibbs in the nets um, at Newlands and those kind of things, you know, those are incredible opportunities that I was, I was able to have along the way. Um, But I think, yeah, that was the point that it changed for me.
0: That's very interesting because for the the listeners that don't know, Craig right now and for the last, probably since I've ever known him, um, after whatever decade, has been in the football industry in some capacity or another. Uh, when we first met, Craig was the strength and conditioning trainer at IX Cape Town for their academy team and their PSL team, right? Yes. Yeah, And since then has gone over to the US to coach academy football and now more recently college uh, football. And that is from what I'm hearing is it's quite a big change from professional cricket as an aspiration to coaching a completely different sport. Um, Tell us a little bit more about how that transition happened, what happened there to kind of direct you to the football realm. Um, Obviously, I as a person know that you're, very football passionate um, come on united and we yeah just recorded here to hear a little bit more about that yeah so
1: i think the biggest part there is obviously cricket was my first passion but because i was so obsessed with sports i was always always involved with with football um, and as time progressed as i went into college i started Understanding that if I was going to influence others and and be able to coach in, in a in a sport, it was going to be it was going to be soccer. Um, the awesome part about my studies was that you had to uh, fulfill two hundred to three hundred hours of of coaching or work in the industry while you were studying to make sure that you also got the practical experience. Um, and so I had a number of kind of part-time roles and jobs um, at, at different high schools and private schools in the area in Cape town. Um, and so I was still coaching rugby. I was still coaching cricket and I was coaching soccer, but soccer was the one that I started to see um, just a little bit more opportunity for me, but also I started to understand that um, it was something that I felt a little bit strong connection to and from a coaching perspective. Um, and so that I would say happened in college uh, kind of, 18 or 19, um, started working with the high school teams at, at Berkeley High and at Red Private School. Um, and and I guess like a little bit at Medridge as well at, at that time. Uh, and so that's kind of where the, the, the switch happened. And then just spending all those hours in the field and, and doing the best that I could in terms of my studies um, and, and working at the same time. Uh, when I eventually got the opportunity as an intern at IX Cape Town, Back in, I think it must have been Don't 2000s, say it, our age, 2007. When I got that opportunity 2007, uh, 2008, uh, as an intern, um, that was when it kicked off to a whole new level. Um, and I think from that moment, I never looked back as as to like, oh, what other sports could I be involved in? Do I need to keep my my, op- my options open to go into other sports? I think the moment that I, I got into that environment and I saw what it was like, um, in a in a high performance soccer environment um there was no going back Um, and i i started that at i hadn't even turned 21 yet so so yeah feels like a long time ago but so many incredible experiences along the way
0: so if the listeners didn't think we were old before they definitely do now um 2007 damn that's uh that's quite an impressive time span to spend in like one industry um especially it's at your age to kind of reach the, the ranks that you're at at the moment. And I know from your perspective that you're a highly ambitious person and you, you're constantly learning and you're constantly pushing yourself to the next barrier. So I suppose my next question for you is, um, where did you learn your fundamental skills and, and what drove that?
1: Yeah, uh, I think a lot of it was through experience obviously you pick up some things from the coaches that you had and you you take what was good from them and and i think you you try to discard the things that you realize didn't serve a purpose at the time um, and so i think each of us would have had some sort of coach a role model in our life where you realize some things like hey i would never do that or i'd want to make sure that i wouldn't do that with the people that i lead or, or coach um, but for the most part, I think it was just through the environments that I was in in, in sport that I, I learned a lot from all the coaches I was involved in. And I think playing a number of different sports helped me to have a very well-rounded understanding of, of what a coach, good coach looks like. Obviously, when I first started through college, it was more on in kind of the sports science and research-based practices that I was spending a lot of my time in. And that's less about coaching and more about um, best practices. It's it's more about science based um, protocols when you are training athletes. Um, but obviously started to pick up some understanding of the industry then, and, and then obviously through a lot of practice when it kind of came to those jobs and and getting involved um, at the high school age, uh, and also through some of the consulting companies that I worked with uh, when I was at college. You know, when we were able to. work with with different athletes so i think a lot of those skills happened uh, at at those um, times but then a lot of it came through learning and adapting as my roles evolved over the course of the last i say 15 years um obviously been in a lot of different roles and a lot of different environments and you have to adapt you have to evolve you have to uh, change what you thought was the right way to do things um and, and to make sure that you're you're always serving the players and serving the people around you. So I would I would say that that's kind of where the fundamental skills started and, and they've definitely evolved since then. I look back at some of the things that I did um, when I was 20, 21, 22. And even now, I, I can't even believe uh, what I thought was me um, working to the best of my ability back then.
0: Yeah, I think I, I'd imagine coaching is quite similar to the everyday life, right? And in particular coming from the industry that I'm specializing in um, from the technology realm is that innovation is constant and theory uh, is never a once-off proven principle. There are multiples. So, I mean, maybe could you give us a couple of examples maybe of, um, of some principles that you've probably changed over your life or theories that you've um, looked at and applied in different ways and potentially others may have? Yeah, I mean, I think you could look at some aspects in the
1: sports science realm, I guess. Back when I had got into the industry, there were still debates around static stretching, dynamic work, ballistic stretching, and it was just different ways to prepare the body for what they were about to do. And in a lot of ways, obviously, the science had come through, but when you work with athletes, um, sometimes they like to do what they've always done. And so you're, you're out there trying to... Um, you know, just change mindset slightly. So I think in the sports science realm, there's been a lot of changes from how you prepare the body, um, how you train them on the field and off the field. There's been a lot of interesting changes uh, when it comes to that. And then also in how you recover, right? So um, as you'll see now, there's still so much debate around things like foam rolling and um, like cold water immersion or cryotherapy. All of those things in terms of science are always evolving um, as they start to do more and more research. To see how those affect athletes so that has changed quite a lot also working in the soccer industry there will be a lot of old school thought process in terms of you know what's the best way to train uh, players so i think when i first started we were just starting to look at the best ways to to manage the load that players were going through um, but you still had a lot of old school um, coaches around and i at the time i'm a 21 year old 22 year old uh, and you have these coaches who've been coaching for 20 years and they still believe that you know running around the field and, and doing all your fitness away from the ball was the best way to do things. Um, and, and so you have to adapt at that stage to make sure that you're that if you are the person that is in, in charge of their uh, physical performance, that you have to adapt to the way they want things done to the best of your ability. So if you're going to have to do uh, fitness without the ball, you have to be really good at that to fulfill your job. And then obviously, uh, very shortly after that, uh, I invest a lot of time and effort into understanding uh, individual player periodization in the soccer realm, and just basically how you load players with uh, that is specific to soccer, and make sure that you reduce the the opportunities for them to to get injured through overload. Um, and so, you know, that's changed a lot. It's so specific right now, where we have GPS data, heart rate data, um, that we can track the load that players go through on a day by day basis, and then make decisions for training. But even five years ago, that wasn't the way it was done. It was really done on instinct. Like, oh, it seems like this player is a bit tired. Maybe we should reduce what he does. Uh, and so that's kind of like on the field practices. And then in terms of character, that's also a big thing. I think even 10 years ago, you didn't have to communicate with players as much as you as much as you did, you, you you told them what you wanted them to do and that to kind of follow through. And now we have this kind of generation Z that you're dealing with a lot. And a lot of it comes to getting them to buy into what you're trying to do, um, trying to communicate with them as effectively as possible, because they want to know why for everything that you do, why we're we doing this, why we're we doing that. But right, but I enjoy that because um, you enter into conversations, you get them to understand the reasoning behind the things that you do and then they take ownership of that whereas a couple of years ago even five years ago you just tell them what what they have to do um and whether they agree or disagree or understand it doesn't really matter um, and so now it's far more of a educational process um, so i think those are three key aspects that in the last 10 to 15 years of of the work that i've been doing have dramatically changed from the sports science um, ways to the kind of on the field work and then also in terms of how you uh, develop characters and relationships um, and how important those are to being successful as your job. All of those have have evolved so much over the last couple of years.
0: Absolutely. I think what's really cool about your background is you've been on both ends of the spectrum. You've been an athlete that's performed at a relatively high level um, as an amateur and then now you're in the coaching role. So as an athlete, you're looking up to one person. Um, So you're managing one personality relationship as a coach, you're managing upward of 15, 20, sometimes 30. And in your cases, when you look at the academies, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 even. How do you you tackle that? Uh, Because from our perspective, obviously, player-coach relationships are vital to the longevity and to the improvement of a player's performance and helping them achieve what they wish to achieve. So dealing with multiple personalities, I'm sure is a pretty daunting thing. Um, How do you kind of look at, At helping them move along um, their journey to be the best that they can be?
1: I think that's been the most fascinating part of my entire career um, is understanding how to build relationships with different characters and different people. Um, And so in some capacity, you know, I felt that when I first started my career in the professional ranks as a 21, 22 year old, I was working with and having to, maximize the performance of, of players that had played all over the world um, and were you know, 36 to 38 at the time, had played for the national team, had played in multiple different countries, yet I'm the person who is trying to maximize their performance and get them to do things. And, and realizing at that age that the only way that I could do that was building a relationship with them instead of telling them what to do and trying to get them to understand certain aspects that would help them. Um, because ultimately, that's what I was there to do. And then look at what it was like at the IX Academy. Um, and the reason that I was able to facilitate relationships with 110 youth players plus 30 professional players at the time was time, right? I was, I was at the club for eight years, um, every single day for, for eight years. Um, and so it was really time intensive, but that's how you were able to develop those relationships because you interact with a 12-year-old player, um, you know, three or four times a week, um, you know, in little little bits, like five minutes every now and then when you have a conversation or you watch them play, you see them in the on the corridors of our training ground, like you start to build a little bit of a rep, uh, relationship with them, even in those little interactions. But then being there for such a long period of time and getting to know them and see them grow, um, you know, after three or four years, you have a really good understanding of, of what of how that player is. Is progressing as a as a person and the same with the professional team right is, is we spend a lot of time together we're on the road together we're traveling and so you get to understand them a little a little bit better so you know it, there's no magic way of all of a sudden getting these players to respect you and love and uh, trust what you're trying to do with them um, other than time and purposefully investing in them um, and then i look at how that's evolved because at ix yes i was at you know at some stage, they had a performance for the academy and for the first team. But I was also part of, you know, 20 other staff members at the, at the club working at that level. Um, and so that's from the first team technical staff to the youth staff. We have a lot of people that are there to support the players. So they felt uh, supported, but they also had a lot of different people that could support them in different ways, um, from the medical department to the coaching staff to the video staff, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now I look at it, you know, as I've gone through to to the USA, and my roles have been even more in depth with the people that I work with. So there isn't a big staff where um, you have all these different people all supporting the players. It's now like you as the coach, um, and maybe one or two other people, um, you know, the the manager or or whatever else that's working with you. Those are the only people that are there as support staff for for these group of athletes, and so there. I found that I had to invest a lot more and I wanted to invest a lot more to make sure that I was supporting them and providing um, any sort of service that I could within the coaching. And a lot of that wasn't even the coaching on the field itself. It's all the the other aspects that comes with with development on the outside. Um, And and the same goes for college now is you can only get to maximize the performance of, of student athletes on and off the field if they buy into why you're doing it and you help them get their um by believing that you want the best for them and nobody believes you want the best for them unless you spend time with them and you get to know their motivations and understand um how to help them through that
0: yeah so i mean with that being said what what part would you say vulnerability vulnerability big word for me on this evening uh plays in the in the space from your perspective as well as from an athlete i suppose
1: I think for an athlete, it's harder. Um, they're at a high performance level for the most part in terms of the players that I work with. And so um, they've always had to show that they are strong, show that um, you know nothing gets them. They are expected to be the best version of themselves all the time. Um, and so I think vulnerability for them is a lot harder until they understand that they can trust you and that you have their best interest at heart. Um, and you're not trying to find the weaknesses um, in them you're trying to make sure that you look at them as a person and a very complex person and try to find ways that that you can you can cater to that i think as a coach um, again it's such a fascinating part of how i feel i've evolved if i look back and having conversations like this are so so important for that is that i think back when i was a young hard-working person in the industry is that uh i guess like a a form of of insecurity is being so strict about what you know and so sure in adverse commas of what you know and um and and having to like pull that off as if as if you know everything about like sports science or coaching or or individual development so that they have no holes to pick in your knowledge, right? And that's as to me I look back at it as like I had to study as much as I could, work as hard as I can, learn all these skills because I don't want them to ever think that I'm not good enough for this role. Um and then, as time goes by, I start start to understand that, um, in some ways, it doesn't make you authentic. It doesn't make you human if you have all the answers all the time. Um, and so, opening up and and being realer with them and being more true to who you are is so so important. And and I think that was the biggest part of growth for me in this industry is just being true to who I am. Understanding that I don't have the answers. And as I described earlier, it's like the answers keep changing. So nobody really has the answers. Uh, but just trying to approach it from from the way of like um, doing whatever you can to help the individuals or the team um, as best as possible. And I think right now leading especially in this day and age with anybody from the ages of uh, today like I'd say like 12 year olds to 26 year olds in today's day and age, like you have to be able to, they have to be able to relate to you. they have to be able to, have a conversation with you, understanding that they can trust you and that you want the best in them uh, and that you don't have this wall up that all of a sudden, you know, I know what's best and you have to do this um, because then they just don't buy into it as much.
0: I suppose that autocratic style of leadership is long gone, eh? I mean, even if you look at the, the football coaches in the Premier League and in European leagues today, there's no more of that, like drill sergeant screaming on the side of the pitch, as much as it used to be, there's kind of like a very empathetic style of leadership that appears on a global scale, even at the highest level. Yeah,
1: and even then, it's it's I would say it's harder to be so vulnerable and open. Um, it takes an incredibly strong leader to be that type of person. Um, but but yeah, I don't think that that style of leadership works um, anymore and the best coaches in the world are those who are really good at what they do but they also understand where they're weak and 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 what they're not good at and how they need other support Uh, and so you used to have this autocratic style where all the coaches were uh, very aggressive and they told you what to do and this is how you do it and this is how far to run and just do what i say Um, and then the the support staff were told to do the same like physios would just be like oh you're fine um we'll do a little treatment for you but you're fine just just get on with the job and your strength and conditioning staff are also told to do the same. Just be harder with them, train harder because they need to toughen up. Um, and, and that's changed so much now that, that people just wouldn't do that anymore. They, they wouldn't put their bodies on the line um, and give their all if you're just telling them they need to do it. They need to buy into the process. They need to understand how this is going to help them, but also help the team. Um, and I think once they really understand all of that, then they're willing to give their all. Um, and you have an athlete that is, um, feels like a deeper commitment to the process because they know that it's, it's, it's the best possible thing for them to do and they, that you are trying to find ways to utilize all of their skills, all of their personality to, to make the team tick. Um, and so, yeah, there's just so many good documentaries right now where you can really get a sense of, of how these high-level coaches whether it's um, the New Zealand rugby team um, in terms of, um, you know, their work, uh, you can obviously uh, read the book legacy, or you can, you can watch um, the, the Amazon prime documentary series with them, which is incredible. You can watch the Australian cricket team uh, with Justin Langer as the head coach. um, And you can watch that series and understand uh, the way that they manage. You can watch, uh, Jurgen Klopp with Liverpool. You can watch Pep with Man City right now. Each and every single one of these coaches at the highest level in different sports, it's not autocratic anymore. It's, it's, it's being human, trying to lead in the right way, uh, but lead together um, with, your, with your players that you work with.
0: It's very fascinating. I guess, I mean, we, we say that, or we spoke earlier about innovation in, in life and in coaching where do you see kind of coaching going in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, I I think you'll still be in the game and probably at a far more um, elite level than what you are at the moment. But are be interested to kind of understand what your, your vision is or your perception of where that di- the direction of that industry is going?
1: I think coaches will become better communicators and uh, and therefore, you know, they have the ability to um, – to motivate players, not from screaming at them or shouting at them, but really like tap into the emotions of, of, of players um, and communicate so effectively that they understand what they need to do, why they need to do it and how they need to do it. I think coaches will be experts at relationships. They understand how to have a relationship with somebody who's very extroverted and um, you know, confident and outspoken just as well as they'll be able to have a relationship with somebody who's introverted um, and just gets on with, it, with their business and understanding how to, to tap into those type of relationships. Um, and yeah, there's been this trend as long as I've been involved in the industry where it is all about specificity. So it's like, you need a, a video analyst that does this. You need, a, you know, in the sports side industry, you need a, a physical therapist, a team doctor, um, you need a masseuse, you need a recovery specialist, you need a functional movement specialist. Uh, in the coaching, you had an attack coach, a throwing coach, a defensive coach, and all these things are obviously very, very necessary if you can get them to work together. Um, but there's still a big part of me that understands that the more you know about, about the, the game, about health and fitness, about sports, um, the easier it is to bring support staff together. So with me right now, spending a lot more time in the coaching side of things than the performance side of things is that if I was working full-time as a performance coach, I understand what the coach has to do um, and how important his role is. So I can make sure that everything I do aligns with that. If I'm um, focusing solely on the coaching side of things and I have a performance coach as my support staff, I understand what he or she has to go through day by day and understand how I can help that. And so I think coaches now have to, be, have, to have such a good understanding of, of everything that goes, goes around sport um, and, and the job to make sure that everything they do aligns. Um, and, and so I think somewhat the future of sport right now is probably, is probably being a little bit more of a generalist, understanding a lot about a lot of things uh, and, and finding ways to, to maximize that. Um, and then the second thing I would say is, is probably the way coaching is going right now is, at least in soccer um, and high-level sport, I would say the um, um, coaches are getting better at understanding what players or kids of different age groups need. So you are now going to have like fundamental coaches, so coaches that deal with the fundamental levels of, of kids between the ages of like six and ten. And coaches that spend a lot of time with kids between the ages of 10 and 14 because their brains are different. And then, you know, 16 to 19 and then the college age and then the pro age. Um, and I think for the last period of time, everybody thought like, oh, well, a player is a player and you can coach a player regardless of, of their age. But there's really is something about being able to understand people um, at different stages of their, their growth and their, their development.
0: It's very fascinating. I think, like at some point as well, we'll probably see. A, I know tech is quite heavily involved in the industry in some form or another. Like you said, and, and video analysis and all, and data and GPS machines and everything like that. It'll just be. It's an exciting time. I think that coaching has reached. And I think one thing that excites me a lot is your feedback on the interpersonal relationships that are forever growing and which are constant um, within the industry no matter what sport discipline or fitness discipline one may be in that relationship is absolutely vital to growth on both ends of the spectrum you touched base earlier on kind of the constant evolution that you're going through and the constant evolution that a coach goes through in their career to kind of progress and move forward what stage would you say that you're in at the moment
1: (laughs) discovery uh i think that. Like as I said, I had gone from students that had a little bit of understanding of, of what it was like to be a, a player, and then into the college phase where I was a novice and learning all these new things and trying to understand how to um, apply them practically. Um, yeah, and then and then I think when I got into the industry, at least at the professional level, it was it was just about working really hard, spending a lot of time and trying to get really good at, at everything I could do, but also trying to learn as much as I could, because I wanted to prove that um, I had all the answers at the time. Um, and I and I guess through doing that long enough and getting enough experience, um, I was then able to, to become a leader in some capacity, whether it was um, leading and running a, a performance with a number of staff underneath me, um, or working a little bit closer with the head coach of the first team um, or even, you know, just uh, trying to help develop like future performance coaches with uh, the interns that would come through the club uh, and, and kind of like shadow me for an extended period of time. So I think at that stage, I felt that at the time where I made the decision to move from South Africa to America, I had got to a decent level of, of where I wanted to be in my career and, and able to lead and, and run a, department and have a a quite a senior role but then i made the shift towards like the coaching side of things and trying to involve coaching more and the performance side of things and then i felt like i was back into like the novice and not understanding all of it and having to rethink everything i thought i knew um and so and so you know i think that process for me started uh, six years ago when i moved to usa and and now i'm just like constantly on a on a learning trajectory and i think even now having six years experience in the the youth academy level and the USA and and also in the the college game. um, Yeah. I just keep going back to that discovery phase where I'm trying to learn more. I'm trying to understand communication better. I'm trying to understand relationships better so that regardless of what I know of what to do on the field, it's like, how can I get people to buy into it? How can I make them feel like this is something that they really want to do um, and, and tailor that to individual people a little bit more. So you know, and I think COVID is in a, was an incredible opportunity to learn more, to spend more time building those relationships, to understand how complex relationships are when you don't have the sport in front of you, when you're not seeing them day by day um, and having to connect um, over Zoom calls or, you know, uh, online uh, and just understanding how crucial relationships are, but how difficult they are to, to maintain um, from a coaching po- uh, point of view, which is why I say discovery is kind of where I'm at.
0: Now, I think it's important to highlight there though is uh, something reflecting to what you, you mentioned earlier on in our conversation is discovery isn't necessarily about having the answers to everything. It's just improving one's knowledge day to day. So it's it's a constant evolution, a constant growth path. It's not it's not with the ambition to be perfect and, and know the answer to every single solution that comes your way, right, Greg? Yeah, I think, as I
1: said earlier, I felt like I needed to have all answers to be good at my job when I when I was a lot younger. Um, and now I look at it and say that I don't know what I don't know. Um, and I can be honest about that. Um, and, you know, I, of course I can have conviction in the things that I, I think I know quite a bit about. Um, but when you're working with players where you have to explain why so that they can learn when you have to work with other coaches that you're trying to develop and you have to get them to understand why uh, you start, you question so much about what you do. Um, and, and so that's why you always have to learn. And I think if you ever get into this loop where you think you have all the answers and you just stay in the same format of doing things all the time, I think you fall behind really quickly. Um, and so the, the greatest skill that you could have is adapting um, and learning and, and understanding and being able to implement that, which is a scary place to be because uh, you, you want to do so well all the time. You want to be so good all the time. You want to have all the answers and you want to be confident um but it's just not always possible because working with people is so
0: complex yeah you've mentioned a word quite a few times tonight which i think resonates with me personally quite a bit and it definitely resonates with the business um in forte and what the three of us in some capacity or another are trying to solve and that is why why do we do what we want to do what is our underlying mission what is our cause what is what is the greater thing inside of us that makes us wake up every day and achieve or or strive to be the best that we can be at a particular thing Um, and from Forte's perspective I I speak for myself and I speak for my co-founder Dwight Um, we're very excited to have Craig on board um, on this podcast to be able to share his input and have discussions within various aspects of the sports and fitness and health industry and to to kind of lead us on our journey in this in this space with a bunch of industry leaders etc so to kind of like end off this conversation i'm going to fire some some quick fire questions at at the man and uh and see what he has to say so craig are you ready for this yeah yeah
1: first one be nice
0: (laughs) (laughs) first one off the bat what advice do you have for younger people today Work hard, understand that
1: you don't have the answers and uh, learn, learn, learn.
0: Very, very valuable input, I think. I think if I'd heard that from you as a youngster growing up, I probably would have been in a different position to what I am now, but we <laughs> it's a, a pity we only met 10 years ago. Um, how does health and fitness impact your personal life?
1: Um, it, it is my life uh, not only in terms of the work that I do and what I invest like all my time and energy into but you know living a healthy lifestyle allows me to be able to um, just be the best at what I do um, you know and that's simple things from the way you eat to the way you sleep to just the decisions you make in your in your daily life I think having understanding of, of health in general uh, allows me to just love, live a, a good life in that sense and and be consistent. I think fitness outside of the work that I do um, is also um, a way for me to decompress, um, a way for me to, you know, just have longevity uh, in a, in a, in today's day and age, which is, it's really highly stressful and and high speed all the time and so I think being able to just take care of my own personal fitness and and health is really important but also seeing how that impacts the people around me people who did not potentially have like their their young adult life being uh, health and and fitness oriented and looking at them now and and trying to make changes and just seeing how just a better quality of life they have because they're spending more time and, and focusing on what they need to do to live a healthy life so I think health and fitness is
0: crucial crucial part of life it's quite funny because um last uh, for those of you that listened to our previous episode craig referred to dwight as the specimen of a human being if i quoting him correctly and um, having spent a lot of time with craig i can assure you all that his uh, fitness levels are definitely of some elite level and the fact that he can eat an ice cream a day and not gain a single ounce of weight is quite amazing in itself. So I think considering the balance he lives by in, the, in his life, and especially in the health and fitness space, he, you can definitely take his word for what he, does, what he says over here. Second last question. I hope you're ready for this one. This is a big one. What are the strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities that are within the industry at the moment?
1: Strength is uh, it reaches a lot of people. Uh, and can ha- is, a, is a tool to to help people live better lives. Uh, weaknesses is uh, I think there are too many people that think that they know it all um, and are like throwing advice out um, without having the backing of it. So I just think that um, just because you're in the industry doesn't mean that you know it all. I think, think people just need to be open and vulnerable and willing to learn uh, because I think too many people have got the wrong information from, from people who uh, I guess were like me when I was 21 or 22 and thought they had all the answers. Opportunities, I think um, that businesses and social media and people in general are trying to tie a lot more in what they do to health and fitness because we've realized what an impact it has on our life. And so I think the opportunities is that it, it has so much, such a big space to grow, especially in the t- technology realm. And And how you can access fitness um through through so many different means um and and those can be catered in the right way Um, and so i think those are incredible opportunities where i think five years from now hopefully you know the the level of obesity reduces the the rates of um of you know deaths or um, illnesses through through poor lifestyle habits will reduce um And I think people will just be happier and healthier and fitter um, to live their day-to-day life because, because it becomes such a big part of our life.
0: Awesome. And I think that kind of leads into the perfect segue um, on the technology front. Technology is becoming a very, very big part of the, of the industry, health, fitness, sports, instruction, et cetera. And as, you know, and I think some of our listeners know, um, Forte is a mobile application that aims to connect athletes to instructors, uh, and we're trying to do so in the most optimum way possible. Um, with that being said, like what, what impact do you think technology could have on the industry to kind of either help it or cause some disruption, um, potentially harm it if there is even any risk to it?
1: Yeah, I think, as I said earlier, with social media is like the, one of the threats um, is, is potentially the fact that there's so much information that's freely available. Now, that could be a good thing if you're looking for information about how to eat healthier or how to work out in certain ways. I think for novices, you just want some information. I think that's great and it's really available. But you also have this big category of just like content that's just out there, um, you know, ticking a bucket. Uh, and so I always, you know, you, you want to make sure that the, the information is trustworthy, that the resources is trustworthy. And, and I think that's why I look forward to this, this project uh, of Forte so much because I understand that the mission statement um, is, is true and it's really what you're trying to do. I think everything that you will provide, um, the clients and the trainers that will work underneath your umbrella is coming from the right place and you're doing it for the right reasons and you're not just trying to throw content out there for the sake of it. Uh, And so I think any technology company that has the right vision and values in mind uh, and everything they do is true to those values, I think can have such a big impact on the industry uh, because it allows really good trainers who are in it for the right reasons to access more people and they don't have to conform to, you know, just get as many clients as you can. And it doesn't matter if you can't manage it just because that's the only way you're going to earn money. I think for the trainers, it's really important that you're with the right people um, that um, you you know, work with enough people um, that you can, you can make sure that you invest in each and every single one of them. And I think for, for clients and people who want to get fit and they want a mentor, they want a role model, they want somebody in their life that can help keep them accountable but also give them advice, I think it's massive to have access to that. I look at the fact that I worked with athletes in uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Durban, um, you know, Holland, uh, Boston and, and now California, is that i still have relationships with a lot of them but the way that i'm able to still work with them or give them advice or talk to them is like text messages and calls which is how you maintain relationships right but i think having a a platform where i could have access to them and and provide more information and support to them is so so vital Um, and so i think if if you can have um, a trainer that works with you that is that is a mentor that keeps you accountable, and you have like a platform that you have access to all of it, and is, is is so is so key to to being a success over a long period of time.
0: Awesome, Craig. Look, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Um, f- for me, listening to your story, to um, hearing your insight, and understanding your position within the industry is really it's a learning session for me every time uh, we speak often and it's always very interesting to hear your feedback and your stance in the, on the industry and where you're going. Um, so thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate it. And is there anything that you'd kind of like to add before we kind of move on on this call? No, I think uh, it's always awesome having
1: a conversation like this, um, especially the fact that you turned it on me was uh was you know it was fun in a lot of ways because it it just you know the questions you ask allowed me to delve deeper into the reason why i do things um and and how much growth this still is necessary so uh yeah always great to have these conversations to delve a little deeper um and yeah i just i look forward to like i said to see how forte continues to grow and 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 access and impact more people um yeah i look forward to to what it looks
0: like in the future awesome man thank you very much for your time Having known Craig for many years, it is evident that his passion for sports and leadership has been a constant in his life. What we have learned today is that having a high emotional quotient is vitally important as an instructor, leader or athlete. Being able to approach every challenge and success with humility, vulnerability and understanding will not only help athletes grow and achieve their goals, but will help instructors on their journey to being industry leaders in their field. Thank you for listening this week and to conclude I'd like to end off with a quote by Carl Lewis. It's all about the journey, not the outcome.